What makes a song a smash? Talent, luck, timing, all that and more. On Hit Parade from Slate, host Chris Melanthi tells tales from a half century of chart history. Through storytelling, trivia, and song snippets, Chris dissects how the artists you love or hate dominated the airwaves and shaped your memories forever. He's explained how Taylor Swift pivoted from country to pop, how The Cure got UK goth rock onto US radio, and how a young Stevie Wonder improvised his way to a Billboard chart topper. Subscribe to Hit Parade for tales of the hits from coast to coast, wherever you are listening right now. Usually before I start anything that I do, I take a moment to activate this practice that my people have around acknowledging those that came before us, whether that's the ancestors of the land or the water that we're passing through or the guardians of that space and place. And it's a song of gratitude and respect. Every July, the island commonly known as Guam commemorates what is commonly known as Liberation Day. But as you will hear, both those names and their meanings are contested. They are part of a history of American colonialism that most Americans would rather not think about. Dakota Camacho had no choice but to think about it. His family is Chamorro, from the island he calls Guajan. But Dakota grew up thousands of miles away in Washington state. Today, he shares the story of that journey and his own journey as an artist, a dancer, and an MC. My name is Maklit, and this is Movement, Music and Migration Remixed. Part of my politic in the world is to try and understand every place that I visit through the eyes of the people that are of that place. Um, and why why is that important to me? Because when people come to the land that I am from, one of the ways that violence happens is that people change the names of the villages um, and then there's environmental destruction and desecration and they are like, oh, this is not the village of Mugwak. This is Anderson Air Force Base, you know, and so part of the violence is actually in the renaming of things. And then at the same time, we, we live in, in a moment in time in which communities of people know places by the names that we grew up knowing them as. 
And and this is a, such an interesting example for me. So my dad grew up knowing our island is Guam. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the indigenous name of that island is Guahan. But how messed up is it for me to try and correct my dad, <laughs> you know, about his understanding? Because there's a to me, there's a medicine in understanding why Guahan is named Guahan and what the potential meanings of that could be. But <laughs> there's also a violence in forcing medicine on people. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, those are some things that I'm kind of wrestling with. <laughs> you talked about your father, and in some of our previous conversations, you also mentioned that it was your parents' generation that moved from Guahan to the mainland United States. What was it that brought them on their journey, and where did you call home growing up? So my Nana and Papa, my dad's mom and dad, were born in 1924 and 1925. So at that time, the U.S. had called Guahan its colonial possession. And in 1940, they abandoned Guahan because they heard that the Japanese military was going to invade. My Nana was on Guahan at the time, but my Papa was not. Our papa was only 15, but he had joined the, the U.S. Navy. And he had joined the Navy because he needed a way to make money for his family because he had lost his land. Mm. He had lost his land because of the economic system that the Americans were forcing people to work and live under. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at 15, he joined the military because that was the best way that he knew to provide for his family. So my papa actually spent World War II on a ship... He was a survivor of Pearl Harbor. Mm. My Nana survived the four years of Japanese military occupation. And the Americans decided to come back on July 21st, 1944. But when they did, they carpet bombed the island. The Americans' high-speed offensive in the Pacific engulfs the important island of Guam. Liberation is coming. But first, a hail of steel from the 5th United States Fleet. And the Americans reinvaded, and and they named this day Liberation Day. Oh, God. And it's still known as Liberation Day to this day. And the complex part about it is, is that some people felt liberated. Mm -hmm. And some people did not feel liberated because they thought, at least we knew where we stood with the Japanese. With the Americans, we don't know. After two and a half years, it's homecoming and revenge all in one for these Marines. So that is that is the life that my papa came back to, of basically having no money and no land. They decided to leave. So that's what brought me to live on this continent. Mm-hmm. I grew up raised by a dad who was not taught his language specifically because my family wanted him to be able to live a life unharmed by the discrimination that they faced because of the the accents that they have and their way of thinking and phrasing things. And I remember being, I don't know, it must have been like the seventh grade or something, trying to ask my Nana and Papa to teach me and my Dingat, my twin sister, our language. And we knew that they wanted to but that they didn't really know how or they didn't know where to start, that it was too late. And so we learned basically how to cuss people out 
and how to talk crap about people. And that was, it was important because it taught us that although they wanted us to be able to succeed in this world, they were also aware that other people's limitations were actually what was holding us back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, not, and not our own. And so I feel like I, I, I don't know if I quite have the language for it, but I lived through this really interesting moment where my family both knew that we needed to maintain our relationship and connection to our homeland and to our culture. I grew up in this cultural dance group. And I think that people were really struggling with how to do that and also do basic things like have a house, have a family, and provide for your kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you you've talked about the the troupe that you grew up performing with. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it and your experiences in it? Yeah. Um, so I was a part of the Hoffa Day Island Dance Troupe, and it was founded by my nana, my my grandma, um, two of my aunties, um, and. There's parts of the story that I don't quite understand completely yet. But what I think I understand is that my aunties learned hula. And they learned it in this kind of touristy context. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but also they wanted to connect to island culture. Mm. Which I think that they felt like they didn't quite understand. Um, and I I think, I think that that's a really complex thing to say. Um, and so they learned these dance forms and then they were like, well, there's nothing from the place that we're from. Um, so our early dances, um, were to this Chamorro music. And in some ways, what was complicated about the dance troupe was that it was kind of always oriented towards telling other people, primarily white people who were the who are the main audience in the small Navy town in which we lived that telling them about us. Um, and so let, let me see, I'm trying to think about what, you know, um, <laughs> what some of the songs that we would have danced to were, but like, uh, on the Island of Guam, there are coconut trees, there are coconut trees. It's a beautiful place where the moon is shining over the sea. It's a paradise in Guam. Wow. You know, yeah. which, which has got a very different tune. You know, now that I've spent time getting to know Kumuhula and, you know, hula practitioners, that's a very different orientation towards telling a story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was something and it was it was a way for my family to celebrate who we are as island peoples and it is i, I it is a place where i i learned a, about dance and my body and, and telling stories and it was very foundational and, and important to me um you know i made some of my first choreographies actually i think the first choreography that i remember making this is a very complicated story 9-11 had just happened mm -hmm. and um, my cousins were getting deployed mm -hmm. and we were asked to do a performance for my cousin's going away party. And my mom had asked me and my twin to choreograph 
A Dance to I'm Proud to Be an American by Lee Greenwood. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So we're Chamorro kids, right, in Coselish territory. In Swinomishan Schwedoblins, uh, which is a Navy town of about 20,000 people. That's 90% white, less than 1% Pacific Islander. Choreographing in the language of hula, as it was taught and probably manipulated and changed via the tourist industry, which is a part of the oppression of Chamorro people and Hawaiians and, and all Pacific Islanders, to I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> There's just so many layers to that. <laughs> In the wake of 9-11, as a 10-year-old. Um, there's so many layers to that. Yeah. I would love to hear from you, like, first of all, like how you came to hip hop and then how hip hop and your traditional chant and dance and practice come together to form your like artistic path. When I was in the eighth grade, I had a history teacher named Mr. Janello, and he welcomed us to U.S. history on the first day by saying, welcome to U.S. history. Take a look at the back of the room. Those are your history books. Don't touch them. They're dangerous. And then he passed us out the first chapter of a people's history of the United States. Nice. And in that chapter, we read Columbus's writings about the horrible things that he did to the Arawak people. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking to myself, my family's Catholic. Are we some of the people that did these horrible things? Wow. And then I came to find out that actually the horrible things that Catholic people did to the Arawak, many of them they did to our people. And I became obsessed because I realized that there was another world where none of that seemed to exist or where it was possible where that didn't exist. And that was the world before colonization. And it was depressing because the things that I was reading, which were primarily written by white historians, were saying that our language and our culture were dying and, you know, that mm. this tradition used to be in practice, but then the Spanish stamped it out. I mean, I was a devout Catholic. I was an altar server. I was the only teenager I knew that had an altar in my room where I would pray the rosary. And I was still, like, really struggling with all these questions. And I found out that my, my ancestors had different sets of beliefs. And I also knew that my family couldn't teach me about it. Mm -hmm. And I also, even though I struggled with my belief in God, I really believed in spirit. I really believed in something that's greater than me. And so I started asking my ancestors for guidance mm. of how to get to know about this world. And I learned about this form of poetry that my ancestors practiced which they called in the writing Cantan Samarita. And it is a form of rhyming, improvisational, freestyled, like kind of competitive wordplay, allegorical, metaphorical, about community. Oh my God. And I was like, 
I feel like I'm doing this with some of my friends at lunch. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so I, I was like, well, I can't speak my language, but I, but I can speak the language of rhyme. Speaking from the altar where the rosaries are found Foreign to a young Yehadza whose soul has been around Does the spirit care for difference or does it distance exhibit unity? Because beauty means specific characteristics of creators You know, I was like, oh my god, like there's There's a world in which I can exist There's a world in which I can exist So that's what grew me into connection to hip-hop Everything I do, I stand on my land Give thanks to my roots, I stand on my land I always speak the truth, I stand on my land Everywhere I am, I stand on my land One of the things that I've been trying to make sense of recently is how my family ended up here and how we're going to make it to freedom. (laughs) (laughs) And not just me and my family, but all of us. All of us. You know, what is the role of a creator, of a of a song maker, of a singer for indigenous peoples? You know, the things that I've learned over the years is it, it's an oral historian. It's somebody who can tell you, tell us about our people's history. You know, it's somebody who also can use song as a way to generate an opportunity for healing, right? And that's the way that I try to think about what the potential of being a musician can be. Everything, every bean, every leaf and bud, every seed, every tree, every piece of mud, everything, anything that you're thinking of is you. So proceed with love, this truth. Dakota's work also expands beyond hip hop. It encompasses dance, performance art, research, education, and activism. And just so you know, eventually, Dakota did learn the Chamorro language of his people. You can hear him rhyme in it a little later in this very song, and you can follow all of his work at dakotacamacho.com. Movement is produced by Ian Koss and myself, Maklit Hadero. Our co-creator and podcast godmother is Julie Kane. Our broadcast partner is The World. We are supported by the Mellon Foundation, the National Geographic Society, and distributed by PRX. Blood touch air, physically revealing what was already there. Ancestors at my back that never once left. Feel them with me when I focus on my breath. A walk on the land, aware where I step. Treat all living beings with care and respect. This is the way of life I will share to my death. Offering the songs to prepare our next. So yes, bless the children coming. We must act now to keep clean water running. The highest form of showing sons and daughters loving. Live by the corn so the earth provides form. People stressed out talking apocalyptic. Earth's been screaming and we've got to listen. I'm so grateful that we've got traditions. Teaching balance is the basis of all existence. Everything I do, I stand on my land. Give thanks to my roots, I stand on my land. I always speak the truth, I stand on my land. Everywhere I am, I stand on my land. Everything I do, I stand on my land. Give thanks to my roots, cause I stand on my land. I always speak the truth, cause I stand on my land. Everywhere I am, I stand on my land.
i hende navhuhul i i mit gejner Donald, da han nok i tid gik nætlig i til sig et gæft bakke. I finder dine sidser hulelutsen i min gejner, men at du nu tutser hoffet, hvor har i halvet vi nejser. Lå er dig hufer luffen, vi i siger, at der er noen. Men lalalalalala, du nik dig i finder gåen. Huhunde gik finder mod, du tager huhon i i hende akun. I har du sige, man kan falde til wow i din anden. Vi handler om hende i længet, nej, så mange i hvor lafun. Her puller i din adun, da man lagt og siger hardun. Jeg holder mig her lavet huhu, man tager den den i etter. Er man hittet lumbala i ting nærlig kulent til nætter. I lagt mig i tætterne, men når i tut nu i sig i du fuck i i hvor fat nu i man man kan er lidt. Men er det til Queeny, and I mean I add your name and mock you. Men has to do not be in here now who do my heart to. Everything I do, I stand on my land. Give thanks to my roots, I stand on my land. I always speak the truth, I stand on my land. Everywhere I am, I stand on my land. Everything I do, I stand on my land. Give thanks to my roots, 'cause I stand on my land. I always speak the truth, 'cause I stand on my land. Everywhere I am, I stand on my land.